Well, good morning. It's good to be back with you here this morning as we worship our great God and King together. I want to say thank you uh, uh, just personally uh, to those of you who have been praying for me in these last few weeks. I just got back from uh, a ministry trip to the Middle East, and uh, it was a wonderful time, but I'm very thankful uh, for those of you who were partnering with me as I was traveling through your prayers. You know, uh, as we get ready and look at God's Word this morning, I was thinking about that uh, TV show that perhaps some of us have seen. I think it airs on PBS. It's uh, um, Antiques Roadshow. Have you, have you ever seen that? Uh, in Antiques Roadshow, they, they travel all around the country and, and set up in, in village halls and community centers, and everybody in the community comes out and they bring stuff to be examined by these experts, these antique experts. And, and, and what's interesting is as they do this, there are some people that they show who, who uh, bring this family heirloom, this thing that they think may be worth a fortune. And, and, and the expert looks at it and they, they check the marks and, and, and you see their face drop as they're told by the expert that this thing that they were convinced was worth millions of dollars was just kind of a cheap knockoff. It wasn't the genuine article. Sometimes they will have somebody who shows something and uh, even the expert is amazed because as he checks and puts it through these different tests, it's revealed to be genuine, and the value of this item that they have had passed down from great-grandmother is shown to be beyond compare. You know, there are times in life where we meet people, and our experience is kind of like that. They maybe present one way, but it doesn't take all that long before we figure that they're not really the genuine article. And while it can be disappointing sometimes, whether it be a, uh, something that we think is a valuable antique or even a person that we meet in the course of our day, we can be disappointed when they uh, prove perhaps to be somewhat fake. It's very important for us as we gather here this morning, as those who name the name of Jesus Christ, that we would be those who have great confidence, great assurance over the genuineness of something far more important than an antique, but over the genuineness of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor Matt kicked us off last week as we began this new series that we're calling From the Beginning as we are going to be traveling this fall together through the New Testament letter of 1 John. And 1 John has a number of different, in a sense, cycles in there. There are times where we're going to feel like we are traveling the same ground over and over. But amidst what John the Apostle, as he writes under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, is, is saying to the early church and to us today, is he is presenting along the way some tests of genuineness that those who are followers of Jesus Christ might have great assurance in their walk with him. And those that are not, 
those that have perhaps thought that they might be, might come to recognize where there is a deficiency that they might turn instead and find that Jesus is all and all, that he is the sufficiency that we need for true salvation. If you have a copy of the scriptures, and I certainly hope you do, I want to invite you to join me this morning as we once again turn to this letter. And as we pick up from where Pastor Matt left off last week, which means that we're in chapter 1, beginning in verse 5 of 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. There we read these words. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. John begins here, and he wants us to see that we show that we know God when we walk in his truth. We show that we know God when we walk in his truth. John's message as he explains it here after he had introduced his letter last week as we heard from Pastor Matt. He then goes on to say, this is the message that I want to speak to you about. But by the way, this is not a message that originates in me. This is the message that you have heard. And and we heard it from Christ himself. And now we proclaim it to all of you. He says that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Now, John loves these, image, these word images and this, this picture of light and darkness, both in John's gospel and through his epistle here. It comes up over and over again. In fact, through this letter, we're going to see a lot of, if you like, uh, 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 light and dark, truth and lie, a lot of opposites to draw attention to what he's saying. But he begins with this reminder, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And when we speak of God as being light, we certainly speak of his splendor and his glory. We speak of his holiness and his purity. We speak of the fact that there is no error, no shadow, no dispute in him. But he also emphasizes the fact that in him there is no darkness at all. And of course, while light might point to that purity and that wholeness and that perfection, Darkness would be the antithesis, the opposite of that. And and what a wonderful reminder that the God that we serve has no shades of gray, has, has no shadows. There is not one speck of impurity in him, that he is altogether 
perfect and consistent and unchanging and immutable and glorious. He goes on to say, therefore, those who say that they know God but are characterized by darkness are lying. While those who walk in the light demonstrate the genuineness of their fellowship with him. What does that mean? It says, since God is light and in him there is no darkness, those who are connected to him ought also to live lives that are characterized by that which is true of God. To say that you are connected to God, to say that He is your Lord, your King, your Master, but to have a life that is utterly inconsistent with what He is like, exposes the fact that you are deceiving yourself. And so in John's instruction here, and we find this really all through the pages of Scripture, We see that being connected to God the Father through Christ the Son brings about a transformation that leads to us being conformed in increasing measure to the likeness of Christ. And so, as he describes this, if we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie, we do not practice the truth. He then says, but, verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light. Notice this, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And so there are certain evidences, there are certain hallmarks that exist in the life of somebody who is truly connected to or in fellowship with God through Christ. Now, I I should be clear here, when when we talk about fellowship, we're not simply talking about having a cup of coffee after the service, as good as that is. You know, sometimes we, we uh, get mixed up and we tend to uh, cheapen fellowship into something far less than what it is. Fellowship is not talking about the weather, talking about the Bears game, talking about uh, um, what we are going to do on a Sunday afternoon. Those are all wonderful ways that we can begin to connect with one another. But fellowship is that and much more. Uh, To be in fellowship with someone is to be kind of connected with them, to be tethered to them, to share a, a depth of understanding and intimacy and commonness with them. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we now, though once we were enemies of God, through Christ, have fellowship with God. And our fellowship with God is seen, is demonstrated by a growing fellowship with one another. That's what he says here. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. 
Because you see, within the body of Christ, within the community of believers, there are things that bind us so close together that are so great and so significant and so precious that they trump everything that we might be tempted to allow to separate us. It's difficult to fully describe this. But I have to tell you, as I travel to different places around the world, there is a remarkable sensation that happens when I meet, even for the very first time, a believer who lives in an entirely different country, in an entirely different culture, an entirely different setting, with an entirely different background and circumstances of life. And yet there is an instant connection. Not because we hold earthly things in common, but because we share something so much greater. And one of the hallmarks, one of the, one of the indicators of our being those who walk in the light is that we have a growing fellowship with one another. But growing fellowship with one another is, is often an, an intentional thing that we have to invest in. It takes time. There ought to be within the heart of a believer a, a hunger to connect with his people. It's one of the reasons we gather and make gathering on a Sunday morning such a priority. It's one of the reasons that we plug into a small group. Yeah, we want to study. Yeah, we want to, uh, we, we want to gather uh, outside of just the Sunday morning. But, but what really ought to be the driving factor under that is just a, a desire to be with God's people. Sometimes we can get a little bit frustrated in those groups and we can feel like, oh yeah, well I go along, but we're not really going deep. We're not really connecting with one another. We're not really being vulnerable. If I share, what are people going to think of me? It's true. Fellowship takes vulnerability. But vulnerability is necessary for going deeper. We want the small groups here to be places of community. We want them to be more than just at the surface level. And, and that means that we have a responsibility, each of us. We have to respect the vulnerability in the group and, and, and not go sharing things that ought not to be shared outside of the group as prayer requests. But we also ought to prioritize those relationships. Because as he says here, as we walk in the light, we, we are one of the ways that we reflect our fellowship with God is our fellowship with one another and the fact that we together in community are, are able to rejoice in the fact that the blood of Jesus, his son, has cleansed us from all sin. We're connected because we are cleansed. We are cleansed because of what Christ has done. And then he goes on to say something interesting here. But as he does, what we're seeing is that it is impossible to be in relationship with a holy God and continue to live a life that is characterized by what is contrary to him. And that, that as we exhibit our connectedness with him through fellowship with others, 
we have to recognize that we will also come across some people who will still try to say that they have no sin and therefore they deceive themselves. But we have to be on guard against such people. And instead, the way in which we are on guard is to confess our own sins and to find forgiveness and cleansing from Him. In other words, one of the great challenges to guarding fellowship, first of all with the Father, and secondly with one another, is that there are some who refuse to recognize that they need the cleansing work of the Savior. Sometimes, that is, those who are not true believers. They have never acknowledged their sinfulness before the Lord. And let me tell you, a a gospel message or a proclamation or a profession of faith that somebody may make, which does not include repentance from sin, is no proclamation of faith at all. One cannot follow Jesus Christ without acknowledging their need of Him to be their Savior. And one who has a Savior is one who acknowledges that they need to be saved. But it's also true that sometimes within a community of believers, there are those who have this misconstrued idea that having been once forgiven for their sins, that it's all over and done with, that now we just have some issues. Now, now we just struggle with some mistakes. And John here has a corrective. As we seek to walk in the light, as we seek to live in the truth of not only who God is, but the truth of what He has declared, he says the way that we do that in fellowship with one another is to rightly acknowledge and agree with God concerning our sin. And so that's why he says in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, if we're in the light of the Lord, then his truth so penetrates every part of who we are that we cannot deceive ourselves anymore. But one mark of somebody who's deceiving themselves is that they go around acting as if they've got it all together that they don't have any sin any longer to to repent of. They don't have any issues to confess. And sometimes that can be a killer of community, can't it? It can be a killer of community when you've got when you've got people who are sharing struggles and vulnerabilities and then you've got others who's like, I got it all together. I don't know what you're talking about. Maybe you've met some people who are like that. He says, we deceive ourselves if we say we have no sin, but if we confess our sins, He is faithful and He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's one of the greatest promises in all of Scripture. That if we, if we come before our Lord confessing our sin, He delights. He is faithful He is unchanging in His faithfulness and He is perfectly just and He cleanses us. And and what a great word this is. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. I love that word, all. 
You know, some of us uh, have, have bought into a deception of the enemy that says, yeah, yeah, God can forgive you. And he can forgive this and this and this. And uh, yeah, but that thing? No. That's too much. That thing, you went too far. And we can begin to believe that God can forgive anybody else, but he can't forgive us because of that one thing. And what a glorious reminder this is. This glorious gospel truth. That because Jesus Christ, the very begotten Son of God, took on human flesh and came and dwelt amongst us. Because He took our place on the cross and bore our sin and paid our debt and died our death. That our sin has been settled. And that through Him, there is now forgiveness for all who will receive it. And it is a forgiveness that is vast and wide and deep. And oh, so sufficient for every act of unrighteousness. John here is certainly speaking about that gospel truth that there is forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. But interestingly, he's actually addressing this letter to believers. And this is a reminder of the fact that that in order for the follower of Jesus Christ to have full fellowship with God, to enjoy that intimacy of relationship with Him, and also right fellowship with one another, that confession... And repentance and cleansing need to be an ongoing part of the Christian life. Not so that we kind of like re-up our salvation. No. But so that we enjoy the beauty of that fellowship. You know, in those times where my wife and I have a disagreement over something, it's not that because we argue about something that we cease to be married. But we do, until we deal with that issue, experience something of a break in fellowship, a break in intimacy in our relationship. And so also in the Christian life, we need to deal quickly with those areas of sin that would cause a break in fellowship with the Lord that we might step back into that full intimacy of relationship with Him. But again, the warning here comes in verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I should probably step back and remind us that sin is a falling short of God's perfect and holy standard. A sin is is choosing to go our way instead of God's way. But when we repent, when we confess our sins, what we are doing is that we are agreeing with God over our sin. But John is is warning here when he says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him, we make God out to be a liar and his word is not in us. He's painting the picture here of somebody to whom God has said, that is sin. 
And that person says, yeah, thanks for telling me that, God, but I disagree. You see, that is a very dangerous place to be. And the truth is that in John's day, it was a problem that they faced. And today, all around us, there are many people who love to refer to God, who love to make reference to Jesus. but have no interest in submitting to what God declares over them. Yeah, yeah, God, I know that that your word says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but but not me. Yeah, yeah, God, I know that that you're into this whole marriage thing, um, but uh, that's great, but I'm just going to keep on sleeping with my girlfriend anyway. Yeah, God, I, I know that, 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 that you say that you're a God of truth. Yeah, but if I share the truth there, then that's going to get me in trouble. So I'm just going to tell this white lie. And John says, if we say we don't sin, if, if, we, if we say to God, yeah, your ways are great and all that, but they're just not for me, We accuse God of being a liar. The prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 2 wrote these words. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. And so God's, God, through his prophet, speaking to the Old Testament nation of, of Israel, says, these are two things that you have done. First, first, you have forsaken me, the fount of living water. In other words, you have rejected what I have declared. You have rejected my ways. And secondly, having rejected, you have dug for yourself these cisterns, that can hold no water. These wells that, 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 that cannot contain anything. In other words, you have exchanged me for something utterly worthless. And friends, there are a lot of people in your life and mine, and perhaps, if we're quite honest, some of us here this morning, who name the name of Jesus Christ. But in truth, are pouring water into a colander. We confess one thing, but we refuse to live according to it. And instead, we say, I got this, God. I I like my way of doing things better. But we don't realize that everything that we are pursuing, everything that we are pouring ourselves into is empty, is worthless, gets us nowhere. And by doing that, We shake our fist at God and say, I don't believe your ways are good. I don't believe your ways are as good as my way. I don't agree with you. You're a liar. So, as we consider this, 
I would ask that today that we would be a people who agree with God over our sin. That we'd be a people who receive his forgiveness and cleansing that he freely gives through Jesus Christ. That we would be those who renounce darkness. And and that we would be those who walk in the light of the truth of who God is. Enjoying fellowship and intimacy with him and and exhibiting that through our relationships with, with one another. My prayer is that today we would be those kind of people who, if our lives were put under the magnifying glass by that expert, that the inspection of our life would reveal a stamp that says genuine. But thanks be to God, we we don't have ever to be in doubt. If we're followers of Jesus Christ, we don't have to be in doubt as to the question concerning the genuineness of our salvation. Because yes, genuine life begins with knowing God and, and walking in His truth. It starts with having fellowship with the Father through the Son and, and living in, in the light that leads us and guides us. But then as John continues, we find in our English translations a chapter break here, which is not at the uh, perhaps the best place in the text, because he continues along the same lines when he says in verse 1 of chapter 2, my little children, I am writing these things to you. Writing what things? Well, the things we've just talked about. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And and, and so uh, talking about this fellowship with God, talking about agreeing with God over our sin, he then goes on to say that the reason that this is important, the reason that I'm writing these things to you is because I want you to know that walking in the light living a life that reflects your relationship to God the Father through God the Son, means that you are no longer characterized by sin. That's what he's saying when he says, my little children, there's this, this deep affection that I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. Now, most of us probably think to ourselves, you're right. Doesn't he know who he's talking to? But the point that he's making is that once we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, our lives are no longer characterized by what they once were characterized by. This is not saying uh, when you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't sin anymore. This is saying that you, uh, you are no longer under the mastery of sin. You are no longer a slave of sin. In Romans 6, addressing some people who suggest, oh, you know, what? we should sin because then God's grace is shown. It says, should we go on sinning so that grace may abound? He says, by no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And, and that's, what Paul, uh, that's what John is talking about here. He's reminding us that we are not who we once were. One of the great deceptions of the Christian life is that we are sinners who live by grace. No. We are those who have been called and declared justified and holy and righteous in Christ 
who still sometimes struggle with sin. There's a big difference. You see, sometimes we have this, well, you know, I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Well, yes, that speaks of who you once were. But we have to be on guard that we don't use that as an excuse. It's like, well, you know, I sinned because I'm a sinner and that's what sinners do. And John is correcting that. It's like, no, no, no. I write this to you so that you will not sin. Because sin is inconsistent with walking in the light. And so he encourages us, first, that we not misuse God's forgiveness as a license for sin, that we not be characterized by sin, but then he goes on to show us that when we do sin, we can know that we have an advocate. When we do sin, we can know that we have an advocate. And what we see is that we ought to live free from sin and be amazed by the costliness of our salvation. Notice with me, verse 2, I'm sorry, verse 1, it says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. So as we seek to be those who walk in the light as he is in the light, our lives in increasing measure should not be characterized anymore by sin, but by righteousness. In the same way as a small child, as they're just beginning to walk, at first, every time they get up, they take one step and they stumble. And they, they get up and they take another step and they stumble and they fall. But over time, they're able to take more steps and, and more steps between each fall. And eventually, the characteristic becomes not the stumbling and falling, but the steps that they take. And such is maturity in the Christian life. But we also know this to be true. Through what Christ has done for us, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we have been delivered from the penalty of sin. Thanks be to God. We have been set free from the power of sin. But we still wait for that soon and coming day at the return of Christ when we will finally be delivered from the presence of sin. So while our lives are not to be characterized by sin any longer, we do still struggle against sin. And when we sin, we have an advocate. An advocate is used here. It's a legal term. It's one who pleads the case on behalf of another. And Jesus, who is our advocate, doesn't plead the case with the Father because the Father is a miserable judge who wants to punish us. No, this advocacy is that Jesus comes before the Father saying, the debt has already been paid for that. In a sense, he reminds the Father of what the Father already knows. That Jesus himself has borne the penalty for that sin. He is our advocate with the Father, and he is our propitiation. He is able to be our advocate because he has made propitiation for our sins. And this is a word we don't use very often. And it speaks about something beautiful in our salvation. 
Some of you may be using the NIV translation, and, and, and there you'll find that it says he is our atoning sacrifice. That's a great term, but I want to suggest it's, it's actually insufficient. Because you see, uh, propitiation reminds us of the fact that in the death of Christ on our behalf, it is not just about what is accomplished for our benefit. That being our forgiveness of sins, our new life, our hope of heaven, all of those different things. It is also about that which was accomplished uh, for our benefit when Christ bore something on our behalf. And that is, in propitiation, we talk about the fact that Jesus satisfied the righteous and holy wrath of God that should have been directed to us, but instead was laid upon Him. Unless we misunderstand, God's wrath is a beautiful thing. Because you see, God's wrath is not his flying off the handle with anger. His wrath is his intense and passionate and holy and righteous anger against all that is unjust and immoral and impure and unrighteous. And God simply cannot be a good and just God without the exercise of His righteous and holy wrath against sin. But here is the splendor of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When once I was His enemy, when once I was deserving of utter destruction, a separation for all eternity... in the place that we call hell. That what I rightly deserved, I did not get. Because Christ took it on Himself for me and for you. He is our propitiation and not ours only, but He is the one who provides propitiation for all. And this statement here is not so much interested in saying that this is, uh, that the death of Jesus was for all people, as it is more focused on the fact that it is, that it is only through Jesus that all people must be saved. And there's a difference there. John is not teaching a universal salvation here. He is teaching the fact that there is no salvation apart from Jesus. And then he closes this section here in this book in verse 3 through verse 6 of chapter 2 where we read, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And quite simply what we see here is that we know that we know when we do what he does. We know that we know when we do what he does. This goes back to what we saw at the end of chapter 1. 
that those who are in Christ will live consistently with who He is. Those who walk in the light uh, walk as He walks. Because Jesus is the one who has accomplished our salvation. And because our salvation is not dependent upon our own merit or anything that we bring, it is possible for us to know beyond a shadow of of a doubt that we are saved. And the test to confirm that, according to John, is what we might call the test of obedience. Now, I want you to notice the order in which this comes. We see first that Jesus is the advocate, that he is the propitiation for our sin, and then that we are to walk in obedience. We don't walk in obedience in order to earn our salvation. We walk in obedience as a response to our salvation because our life is now bound up in who he is. And so, what we see is that those who profess to know Christ but don't keep his commandments. Lie. And John is very harsh at times, it would seem, but he's speaking about serious matters. Notice with me, first in verse 3, and then again in verse 6, the language, though, that he uses. Verse 3, he says, By this we know that we have come to know him. And then verse 6, by this we may be sure that we are in him. Again, he wants to reveal the test of the genuineness of our faith because he wants us as readers to reflect and to consider And in a sense, to test ourselves and to be encouraged and to be reminded and to be strengthened. Here is the wonderful news. You don't have to live the Christian life in doubt of your salvation. But we do need to test ourselves, as the Apostle Paul said to the church in Corinth, to make sure that we are truly in the faith. How can we know for sure if our salvation is genuine, if we're really a Christian? Well, we can know if we pass the test of obedience. That we know that we know when we do what he does and when we do what he says. You see, the follower of Jesus Christ in increasing measure is characterized by an increasing obedience to his word. And as the spirit of God works in us, bringing us in conformity to his word and in conformity to the person of Christ, we see that fruit of the spirit that is spoken about to the Galatian church coming alive in our life. You know, a few years back, it seemed that everybody would wear these little bracelets and they would say, WWJD. Do you remember those? What would Jesus do? And they were interesting. Um, they were everywhere. Uh, because I think everybody liked the kind of idea of, yeah, yeah, you know, we want to do what Jesus does, right? Uh, now, 
when Charles Sheldon first posed that question in his book, In His Steps, back in 1896 when he penned that, I think within the context that he meant it, it was very helpful. But those bracelets, one of the challenges with that was that people were asking this question, yeah, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? But then they were basing their answer on their own opinions. Very few of them were, what would Jesus do? I don't know. Let me open his word and find out. And actually, a better question to ask is, what would Jesus have me do in light of the situation? And the wonderful thing is he has given us his word. And really that question, the heart of that question is, how then should I live consistently and in obedience to God's revealed word in the midst of this situation in my life? And that is the cry, that is the question that is on the heart of the follower of Jesus Christ. Those who seek to walk in Him, those who say that they abide in Him, ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. Friends, my prayer for us is that we would be a people who are consistent in our faith. That we would walk in the light as he is in the light. That we would rejoice in the salvation that we have in him. That our lives, not perfectly because we we continue to stumble, but but in increasing dependence upon the Spirit of God and, and, and on the Word of God would show to be characterized by that which characterizes him. How do we know? That our faith is genuine when we have a deepening walk with God that is characterized by these things. And this is right out of this passage we've seen. First, a life of truthfulness, walking in the light as he is in the light. Secondly, a growing fellowship and depth of relationship with other believers. A third demonstration is an agreement with God over our sin and the regular practice of confession that we might keep short accounts with him and enjoy that intimacy of fellowship. Another that John draws out here is a life that is increasingly characterized by righteousness. That idea that we are not characterized any longer by sin but by righteousness. And then finally, a consistent and growing obedience to God's word, leading to greater Christ-likeness. How do we begin that journey? We begin it as we look to God and we recognize the greatness of who He is, that He is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. We begin it as we turn to Jesus And if you've never done this, if you've never acknowledged before God that you are a sinner, that you need a Savior, that you have chosen to go your own way instead of His, then you need to bring that to God because here's the wonderful news, that today Jesus Christ stands ready to forgive your sin and to welcome you into fellowship with Him as a member of His family. And then, as those who are followers of Jesus Christ, I want to plead with you. God has given us his word so that we might know him. 
He's given us His Word so that we might worship Him as He is, and He's given us His Word that we might know, what would Jesus have me do? And then, in obedience to His Word, as we read it and as we learn, as we understand, we say, oh God, I cannot do this in my own strength. But by the power of Your Holy Spirit in me, would You bring my life in conformity to Your Word that I might display to others what it looks like to live a life that is genuine in fellowship with you. We show that we know Jesus when we walk in His truth. And we can know that we know Him when we do what He does. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, I thank You for Your Word and for the clarity of it. More than that, Lord, we thank you for who you are in the beauty of your holiness and your perfection, that there is no distortion or uncertainty in you. You are light, and in you, Lord God, there is no darkness. I pray for my own life and for those who are gathered here and those who are joining us online, that we would be those who walk in the light as you are in the light. That our lives would show, so display in every corner, in every part, that we are in Christ Jesus. That we would not only find great confidence ourselves, but that we would resound as a testimony to others of the splendor, of the joy and of the wholeness that comes from living in you. Teach us, Lord, to walk in your ways. Teach us to have an undivided heart that fears your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray.